This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time, and if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they tried to make me go to rehab. Good evening and welcome to Hooked, Joy 94.9's program about addiction. Research shows that the LGBTI community has addiction problems of at least twice that of the general population and we want to explore why and how this has come about. There are many suffering addiction, many more that are affected by those in active addiction and people that are grateful in recovery. My name is David. Hi, I'm Paul. What are some of the reasons behind this problem? Are there pathways toward recovery and change? How does addiction affect loved ones, family members and partners of those in active addiction? We're not experts in these fields, but just a couple of friends who happen to both be in recovery, and we believe that there needs to be a conversation in our community. If you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or lifeline.org.au or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or beyondblue.org.au. Well, it's good to have your company once again, Paul. It's good to be back. Uh, hello to Russ, if you're listening in tonight. He's still off the pace, but yeah. he's certainly recovering, which he is the main is. thing. Indeed. Recovering in recovery. Recovering in recovery, there you go. There's yeah, a slogan so, for a T-shirt. Yeah, hopefully we'll see Russ back next week, and that'll be always great as well. Hey, tonight. Yeah, um, interesting. Imagine waking each day feeling healthy, at peace and fully in control of your life. A discreet, stylish LGBT plus drug rehab sanctuary in northern Thailand, Resort 12, offers a new global standard in addiction and trauma treatment exclusively for LGBTI plus uh, clients. In May, we spoke to Stu Fenton, Principal Counselor at R12, a cabin group rehabilitation facility dedicated to LGBT plus clients. We learned about Stu's extensive therapeutic experience. And of course, uh, Paul, if you want to hear mm. that interview again, we do have a podcast at joy.org.au slash hooked. And you can always listen to that again. Now, one of the other specialties that they do have at R12, um, well, on tonight's show we're going to talk to Casey Lucarelli and she's a primary therapist and addictions counsellor. But before we actually even go there, how on earth did you end up in beautiful northern Thailand? Well, my story started about in 2010 um, when I actually went to treatment and uh, I kind of just went there for drugs, not thinking about that I had a problem with alcohol or anything and uh, I met this therapist and I was like, I want to do what you do. And so I got out of treatment. I went to back to school. Mm-hmm. Then I ended up moving and went back to school for acceptable because kind of kids very conservative, kind of like hid my whole life behind shame, basically. Um, and then trying to hide behind alcohol and drugs to mask the pain that I was in. Yeah, I, I was going to say... homophobia. Yeah, I was going to say, um, was part of that shame, you know, masked by your addiction as well. Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, because I wasn't being true to who I was. Mm-hmm. And, um, the fear of, like, family rejection and 
just the social stigma that was placed on LGBT around um, their own sexuality. Yeah. And I was always involved in addiction, like treatment and coaching and just trying to help people in any way I could. And then with the private practice, and then I was also working at an, another treatment center. I received an email from Stu, and he kind of offered me a position after some interviews, and I said, why not take the opportunity to work in Thailand, specifically with LGBT? Because mm-hmm. there's no other rehab really, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Eric ones, and you're part of that. Uh, when we talked to Stu, uh, he did mention that there were a few rehabs um, specifically designed for LGBTI community in the United States. But uh, once again, I suppose, you know, if you're looking for a specific rehab, travelling out of your country to a place like Thailand where you are in a serene area and you're sort of closeted from the rest of the world is going to actually mean that you're going to be concentrating on your recovery. Right. It gives you, yeah, a chance just to walk away from all the external stressors. Looking resort that looks just sensational. So, you know, I'd probably like a day spa in the morning perhaps and maybe uh, a little bit of shopping in the afternoon and some gorgeous gourmet food and maybe just watch the sun go down with a, a meal on the terrace with a couple of glasses of wine. Apparently that's not what happens at R12. No. <laughs> it looks amazing. Our clients would love that, right? <laughs> it looks absolutely a sensational, gorgeous place. But people do come to R12 to work. Yeah. And they work do on a themselves. lot of work. I mean, I call it an emotional boost. Yeah, I suppose it is unpacking um, the reason that we ended up in those spaces of addiction, actually unpacking the reasons. But you need to be, I mean, for some people it works really well that you need to be separate out of everything else. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's a beautiful spot. And what, what's the temperature at the moment in, in Thailand? It's, I call it hot. <laughs> Hotter and the hottest. Okay. Is uh, it hot, hotter, or hottest it, today? About, I think today is around like 90, maybe. Okay. With the humidity, so it's a little higher humidity. Okay. But it's not bad because we have air conditioning and everything, so you don't really notice. Yeah, of course. But when you do go outside, it's, it's hot. All right, so the cabin group, obviously you're getting support uh, for what you're, the work that you're doing there from some pretty high-profile people as well. Yes, definitely. I think it's just a, it's just a great place to honestly come here and the cost compared to America and compared to Australia and other countries is it's it's extremely lower because it is Thailand and we're and you are able to do that and just the services that you do get with the food the um, physical training you get massages you get you get a, a important I suppose when people do eventually make the trip if that's what they choose to do now you of course specialize a little bit differently because you're looking certainly at women's needs in um, our community because they are a little bit different aren't they yeah I, I think there's a lot of social stigma there's minority stress harassment obviously uh, history of abuse and just that lack of social support so the, yeah the women kind of I think they're more likely. I was reading an article the other day that said, I think it was from the American Addiction Center, that research has shown that lesbians are more likely to misuse alcohol over their lifetime, specifically lesbian women. Yeah. So um, what sort of age group of women do you see at R2? They're kind of, I think, 20 clients, and I was the only one that identified as gay. And therefore, you wouldn't be able to disclose everything, I suppose. Yeah, because they didn't understand... internalized homophobia from my perspective and 
it's just that commonality piece of having gay men, uh, women, uh, lesbians, transgender, and queer who just have that commonality piece of what it's like to really grow up in a society that has minority stress and harassment. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, the coming out experience as well, which is really important. Now you actually moved uh, from one side of the country virtually to the other side of the country in order to just facilitate your own coming out. So a lot of people do struggle with that coming out experience, whether it's a bad coming out or uh, having to uproot yourself or whether it's a not coming out experience. Yeah, and I noticed that a lot of our clients, they do do a geographical location change and then they start to come out because they feel safer. Yeah. Don't actually even get me started on geographicals because we know, <laughs> as we're in recovery, we know about geographicals. And I've always had the theory that the further you go, not that I'm insinuating that you've done a geographical from Denver to Thailand, but the further you go, the bigger the problems you are. And those people in addiction that do geographicals are often going a long way to start afresh because everything will be different. And it's not, is it? No, because wherever you go, you go with yourself. So. <laughs> Yeah. All those problems are still there. I like your laughter when, when we start talking about <laughs> geographicals, but we're on the same page. We, we know what we're talking about oh, because totally. of the whole recovery yeah, story. It. <laughs> it's really quite fun. You're in a beautiful place in northern Thailand, uh, and you help a lot of lesbians in the rehab centre at R12. What are the specific needs of our lesbian community in rehab? Uh, there's a lot of love and intimacy issues. Um, internalised homophobia, like I said before, is huge. Can you, actually, can you explain the internalised homophobia to those that are listening that may not quite understand that? I just simply put it, just not being comfortable with your sexuality. I remember when I first came out and my girlfriend at the time held my hand mm -hmm. and the feeling of shame that took over and I just automatically like let go because I was in fear of what others thought. So I myself was homophobic even just towards myself. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of us... A lot of us grapple with yeah. that issue because we sort of go, oh, okay, well, I know who I am and what I am, but I, I don't actually understand how I fit in with everybody else. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's a common theme. I remember a lot of our clients come in and they're like, oh, I don't have internalized homophobia, and then you peel, you peel those layers away and they actually see what their fear is in society, but then also within themselves. Right. It's, it's, it's definitely nice to, to explore that with clients. And can you also tell us about lesbian love addiction? Yeah, so as women, I think we're just wired for connection and we have that emotional connection. And um, because we had to uh, survive in hostile environments and just having that internalized shame, um, I think we kind of, as lesbians, we merge into behaviors that are destructive. We get into relationships uh, way too quickly. Yeah. Uh, we move too fast. Um, you know, that lesbian joke, what does a lesbian bring on the second date? A U-Haul. <laughs> um, I myself was a you. I experienced that multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> which is a moving truck. So I would always, I would instantly get in a relationship. Is and, that um, is that because sex becomes a dependency? Uh yeah. I think just the the, the idea of being in love, the obsession mm -hmm. piece of I'm addicted to being in love, and I might not even like that person, but I like the feeling of being in love. Yeah, they find themselves in these relationships where like when the honeymoon is over it's like what's left and then the struggle of leaving and the abandonment and the fear that comes up around that because it's such a codependent relationship that's built so it's more of a psychological dependence and um it really does 
it doesn't yeah. sound like an addiction, but it does sound like an addiction. Yeah, like well, uh, love addiction is more it's uh, characterized as a process addiction. So the obsession of like just being in love. Yeah. So when you unpack, and it's that constant like feeling of not feeling whole without that person. Because of the emotional uh, uh, connections that women have yeah. with everybody, I suppose. Yeah, and it happens in men as well. It's just more. I think it's it's just women just experience more just because of the emotional level piece. Where it they also talk about how like. It feels like I remember when I was in a relationship with a woman for like a month, and the emotional connection that I had when I was uh -huh. dating a man that like took a year. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just it's it's just quick because we're same sex and we're just wired the same way. So it's that instant bond. Sure. Now that's something that's very different compared to let's say gay men or something. But what about alcohol addiction? You treat that as well, but tailored yeah. more to a, a lesbian patient. A lot of lesbians struggle with shame, mm -hmm. um, and then alcohol is just readily available. It's easy. It's the quick fix. Um, shame around using other drugs, so they resort to something more socially acceptable, like alcohol. Is it more common amongst lesbian women? Yeah. Uh, lesbians, I, I, like I said before, I was reading that article. It just shows that they're more likely to misuse alcohol over a lifetime than, than uh, heterosexual persons. Yeah. And then it becomes, what, an ever-increasing amount so that people, as they maybe are in their 40s or the 50s, they're actually using more and more and more and becoming more and more dependent. More and more dependent. Definitely binge drinking is huge. Um, just heavier use and more frequent use. Okay. Um, and what about drugs? What sort of drugs um, are we looking at as far as your rehab, rehab is concerned? The same as everybody else? or With women, it's, it's more alcohol... Um, because we certainly oh, okay. talked to Stu Fenton about um, the ice addiction in gay men's mm. culture and certainly, therefore, that's driven to chemsex and things like that. So, obviously, that's not really something that's happening in the lesbian community then. Right. And not to say that lesbians don't use meth. It's just more, um, I think, socially acceptable drugs. Um, I call them the housewife drugs. It's uh, benzos and booze. Ah, yes, it's booze and opioids. Nothing What's like that? nothing like the the combination of uh, of opioids and booze as well. Yeah, and it, it's those are the socially acceptable ones to get. You could just go to your doctor and you get a script, and then you're good. And it's like it's okay because my doctor prescribed it to me. My doctor said it was okay, so let's do this. Yeah, that sounds pretty yeah. destructive. So I see a lot it? of that. Yeah, tell me also about body issues that you wanted to talk about. There are people with issues with their body that that you're able to address as well. Yeah, a lot of food and body just shame around the way they look. I remember myself just being distracted with the way I looked and I had to look a certain way, but it even goes even further with body, I think, because the discrimination that we faced in the lesbian community based on how we looked. Either we were too masculine or too feminine, and I know from my personal experience, I never felt like I fit in mm -hmm. with the way I dressed or even with my body. It took a lot of time for me to love myself and even express myself in a way that I felt comfortable. 
I think it's funny because whether we're in addiction or not, our community is one of growing up and finding that we're a little bit different from everybody else and we didn't quite fit in. And whether we go down the path of addiction or not to mask those internalised feelings of homophobia or the fact that we are different and we want to do different things, we don't want to necessarily do what all the other kids are doing, uh, it's interesting mm. to, that, that you should uh, talk about that. The, uh, and certainly the body image is part of that as well. Yeah, just just not feeling like I fit in, and that's that's another common theme, like you said, definitely. Yeah, I think we find that with everybody that is in recovery, they talk about that not fitting in. So you'd find that with many of the clients there at R12. What's that? You'd find that same sort of theme with many of the clients at R12. Yes, definitely, definitely. Now, earlier on, we talked about treatment for LGBTI community being more specific treatment programs that are certainly more successful, the generic ones. And at R12, of course, you do look after our community much more. What happens in the day of your life if you're a client at R12? What, how do you, what happens? You wake up in the morning and go, okay, another day of recovery. What happens? So, yeah, clients wake up, they come to, um, they could either go to yoga or, or the, check out the gym. Yeah. And then they also have a breakfast, coffee, eggs, omelets, all that good stuff. And then after that, they have a community group. And that's solely just focusing on, like, the business of what's going on in the community. Well, the community um, in the area, or the community within the facility then? Yes. So, what's like, the R12, like, what's going on with... Is, do counselors need to make an announcement? Do um, clients need to make apologies? Um, and just like maintenance issues and just maintenance of the community as well. Okay. And you mentioned and the gym. Then, is do you find do you feel that uh, physical improvement and physical well being makes a difference to your recovery? Oh, totally. I think because um, it's, it's all mind, body, and soul, and I think the gym definitely provides an outlet for that. And that's one of the sure. reasons you have good food there and you have a gym there and you have some sort of regime as far as whether it be doing yoga or whether going to the gym. That sort of helps people set up each of their days, I suppose. Yeah, and then also integrating that into real life when they, when they leave here, of getting on that daily schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay, so after the, the morning catch-up, what, what happens then? And then they go into a process group where they process what's going on in the here and now. Yeah. Uh, clients are able to explore all their feelings and kind of address issues that are coming up and what they're feeling and how clients kind of remind them of others, of their past. Yeah. It's a great group. And, and then... Is that also to do with identification of knowing that other people are similar to yourself? Yeah. And where are those feelings coming from? Yeah. Because it's usually... It's, it's not about the other person, you know? So <laughs> it's all about the projection, as they say. Okay. And then what else do you do after that? So after that, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll have a workshop. And it, it usually focuses on, like, shame. We'll do dialectical behavioral therapy, CBT therapy, um, relapse prevention, anything that focuses on uh, addiction. Okay. Treatment. And that happens on three days of the, the three of the working days of the week. Um, what happens yep. on the alternate days? So the, on the alternate days, they also have um, a chance to... Uh, mindfulness, Sambo mm -hmm. Mindfulness, uh, TRE. What's TRE? And then trauma release exercises. Okay. And then they also have a chance to um, utilize the gym as well. 
Okay. Yeah, so I can see that much of the late afternoon is devoted to fitness and wellbeing activities, um, whether it's just in the pool or once again at the gym. Uh, you've got personal trainers there as well towards to help people work towards fitness goals. I suppose that goal-setting process, yes, as you, as you say, it sets people up for when they come out of R12 for a bit of routine and daily life in a normal world. Yeah, it kind of sets them up of getting on that schedule and I think a schedule is so important when you're in early recovery. Of course. Because you need that structure because when we were in an active addiction, we definitely did No structure whatsoever. <laughs> no, none at all. Just chaos, total chaos. Tell me also, is there, when a client leaves R12 and goes home, are there other support services as well? Yeah, depending on where they go. Um, I mean, obviously we set them up with like a therapist. We'll set them up with meetings to go to. Um, and then they're able to also... Uh, participate in the recovery plan because they do their own recovery plan and then we kind of assist with finding them a therapist and integrating them back into the uh, community through it could be CMA meetings, AA meetings, um, NA meetings and SWAT meetings as well. Sure. Depending. And let's come down to the crunch here. You've had a number of clients through the doors there at R12. How are they doing? Uh, right now, I, I love our community. We have a very loving, um, hardworking definitely hardworking community and just so loving it's it's amazing to see the transformation over weeks and also just out of interest how is it really to work with Stu he's not listening in at the moment but how is it to work with Stu how is it to work with Stu should yeah. I no <laughs> no it's great um clients love him uh he does a great job of definitely he's super active in helping clients get their needs met and just really meets them where they're at Sure. What I was actually getting back to before, though, was you've got your community staying there at the moment, but when people go home, what sort of success are we looking at here? Success? I mean, we have a pretty high success rate. I don't know the exact statistic, but I know that we have an alumni program. Clients are able to check in through Skype every Tuesday, which is amazing to see. I myself have, like, three or four clients that I still continue to see through Skype. So it's, it's definitely... They're making progress and they're showing up. I think it's the LGBT-specific treatment that really helps. Yeah. Clients are definitely able to... And also seeing those people progress, that's almost just as rewarding for you as well. Yeah. No, it definitely is. To see that there's like a light in their eye that just flicks on and you're like, ah, there you are. Yeah. Look, you know, in the end, um, a, a facility like R12 is about connecting with your community and we bang on all the time that the opposite of addiction is connection and to be able to meet people that are in the similar situation as you means that you're actually finding your tribe at last. Right, definitely. It's all about finding your tribe. Yeah. Look, we've been talking to Casey Lucarelli from R12, Resort 12 in Thailand. It's been great having you on the line. As I said, we've been looking forward to catching up with you so much. And it's great to see that uh, you're doing amazing work for our lesbian community as well. Well, thank you, David, for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you too, Casey. Bye. I appreciate it. Bye. Do we have a message there, Paul? We do indeed. We have a membership from Edith in Melbourne. Thank you, Edith, for signing up as a member of Joy. You, of course get all the benefits of your membership and we encourage people to 
become members of Joy because that's how we stay on the air. Well, yeah. Look, a program like Hooked certainly wouldn't be on the air on a mainstream radio station, so community yep. radio is important in that respect. It is, and it's supported um, by people like Edith, so thank right. you. And we certainly wouldn't have things like interviews with uh, Casey Lucarelli. I mean, it was great yeah, to it was hear... a very interesting interview. You know, certainly after talking with Stu about the issues that um, their addiction facility treats, mm. certainly for men, from a men yeah. perspective, yeah. it's very interesting to see that uh, lesbians are more affected by alcohol yep. and benzos, opioids, that Yeah, sort what of did thing. she call them? The, the house... The housewife drugs. The housewife drugs, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, and it's great that there is that service available for lesbians, to that tailored approach, which is just going to be so much more effective than a blanket approach. And also, Casey likes Stu also come... Both of them are in recovery, so yeah. it's all still to do with peer group support, of course. Yeah, it's brilliant. Hey, do you have any news to start us off tonight? I do indeed. Uh, there is a news item from Nine News, actually. It's mm -hmm. lifted from an interview that uh, was on A Current Affair, and it is about a grandma. Actually, she's a great-grandmother. She stole from her friend whilst in the grip of a gambling addiction, and she's now turned around and kicked the habit and she's helping other people to also kick the habit. The thing that I notice in this news mm. item is that it says that Australia has just 0.3 of a percent of the world's population. So mm. we have less than 1%, mm. a third of 1% of the population of the world, but close to 20% of the world's pokey machines. Yeah, it's crazy. And that nationally we lose, are you ready for this? Yeah. $24 billion a year, which is even 30% higher than the next country in line, which is Singapore. Yeah. $24 billion a year it's is a what we lose. a lot of money. A so huge amount of money. What, what happened in her addiction? Well, Elizabeth, her name is, she's 73. She's mm -hmm. a great-grandmother, as I said. She... She just fell into, it doesn't really go into a lot of detail about how she fell into it, but she fell into her gambling um, addiction and ended up ripping through all of her money and then started uh, taking money off her family and friends. She said she would lie to her children about why she didn't have money. Um, and then after she got divorced, she was taken in by her best friend. And when she ran out of her own money, she she was at the pokies and she went back home to where she was staying with her friend and took her friend's money and then went back to the pokies. Um, so she thought, of course, the uh, very commonly said amongst gamblers is that she wasn't winning because she didn't have enough money. That's what she thought at the time. Yeah. Um, but so she ended up realising she had a problem going to Gamblers Anonymous and now she helps other gamblers with their gambling ad addiction with what she's learnt through attending Gamblers Anonymous, which is brilliant. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, there's also a story about a uh, young dad, uh, yeah. Matthew, who lost more than $30,000 in just a few months gambling at the casino, and it contributed to his marriage breakdown. He had to sell his house, mm. and he's now back with his parents. But uh, yeah. he's barred himself from all of those places. Um, yeah, he, he realises the problem that he has as well. And again, it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter if you're 73 or 33, like the yeah. people in these articles, addiction can affect you. So it's, it, it's certainly not 
any particular sex or age group or profession. It's across the board. And like the we've lying, said so the many times. that comes with it as well. The yeah. lying, the cheating, going down to... I suppose it's a little bit like lowering the bar, mm. but then you lower it again mm. and then again and, and again, again and again and again. And you lose, like Matthew in this article, lost his wife and his kids. Yeah. And his home. Okay, well, that's that's certainly a great news article. Well, it's a great news no, article. Well, an interesting news article. It's an interesting news article. Look, I'll tell you what I found. A manufacturer of highly addictive painkillers has been using data matching techniques to track people's Google health searches mm-hmm. and target them with ads that increase in intensity until they respond. Pharmaceutical giant... Munda Pharma and marketing agency Affinity produced a marketing campaign for the drug oxycodone or codone, oxycodone? Oxycodone, yep. Yep, which used Google Ads searches tools to identify patients who were unhappy with their current pain medication. Mm. Sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? It's a bit dodgy. Munda Pharma is the sister company of Purdue Pharma, the US company facing hundreds of millions of dollars in legal action over allegations it's misleading marketing practices led to the country's opioid crisis. Mm. Details about campaign have been revealed after the ABC reported uh, Mundi Pharma was using a regulatory loophole in Australia to avoid scrutiny of its marketing to general practitioners. Yes, there's some... Yeah. A little bit scary that, uh, li- it is a little that bit they're scary. using Google, um, I to, don't know. To effectively target you... Uh, um, I think it's called remarketing, where so if somebody enters a search term, then there's, I don't know, I'm not, please don't write in and say you got all the terminology wrong, but mm. I think it's something to do with cookies, maybe. Yeah. And but, but the fact that they're then... T- so if I was to search in, I'm constipated after using, you know, heavy painkillers, then that ad would pop up and but the, the the thing about it was that it kept popping up and it got more and more uh insistent as it kept popping up which yeah. is just well crazy. there's another article from abc news Ooh. as well uh debbie thompson is a grandmother of five we're getting quite a another few grandmothers grandma. in tonight who likes crochet in her spare time the 64 year old is also an addict One Australian GP believes misleading practices by one global pharmaceutical company are contributing to patients like Ms Thompson becoming hooked on opioids. Pain specialist Simon Holliday said a massive loophole, same loophole, was Mm. allowing pharmaceutical companies to falsely advertise the purported benefits of their products to general practitioners. He has evidence pharmaceutical giant Munda Pharma has been misrepresenting the position of two major doctors' groups on how to prescribe pain medications to those with chronic pain in order to promote their drugs. So Mm. uh, these drugs are, yeah, certainly opioids. Mm. Um... I was just having a quick look here. Dr. Holliday said he had no idea the system was so corrupt and so porous. I'm really surprised that actually nobody in the whole system really cares whether pharmaceutical advertising is misleading or not. Mm. Um, A Munda Pharma spokesperson conceded one of its references was incorrect, but also said references in the brochures were accurate and not misleading. Munda Pharma said it strongly rejected any suggestion it had misrepresented medical guidelines or engaged in unethical practices. Mm. Well, yeah, Miss Thompson yeah. said her decades on opioids, her doctors would try her on new medications with each 
change, her dose was increased. During these years, she moved like a robot between work and home under the influence of the powerful painkillers. They were like jelly beans, Miss Thompson said. I'd come home... Uh, and I never left the house. I'd just sit. I did mask the pain for a while, but then it would stay away. For Miss Thompson, the turning point came when she was hospitalised with stomach pain so severe she was put on strong intravenous drugs for two weeks. Mm. More than a decade of taking opioids had done untold damage to her gut, and she could no longer stomach the drugs. Mm. I lived on Imodium for a couple of years because I just never knew when I was going to get caught short, Miss Thompson said. With the help of Dr Holliday, she now manages her pain using anti-inflammatory medications and local anaesthetic uh, patches. She also uses distraction therapies like craft, which is Mm. obviously where her crocheting comes in. Her quality of life has improved, but Ms Thompson admits the pain never really goes away. Basically, my family's my goal. I want to watch my grandkids grow up. After 19 years, I've pretty well learned to live with it. Uh, So, you know, that ties back into those misleading practices and, and the thing about that is that the false advertising laws don't cover marketing to gps so the thera- um the those false advertising so if mm-hmm. you were selling a product to the general marketplace and, sure. and advertised you know this is the best and this will um this is the best product ever and you know you should buy it it doesn't apply to pharmaceutical companies who are selling products to gps pretty scary stuff. Is it, but that's the loophole that they're talking about. And then about. also, what about advertising on the internet? I mean, I'm not sure mm. about that, whether... Well, that, uh, that, that was what was raised, as I understand it, in that in that, yeah. the last uh, in the last uh, article that you so spoke about. So there are about, loopholes that, in the laws. Yeah, and the fact that they were just blatantly giving the wrong information about the... Yeah. Interestingly, though, in that article, the latest figures show Australian misuse rates are at 3.1%, which is far ahead of Canada, which is sitting at 1%. But midway, interestingly, because I know this has been a topic that you've discussed a lot on the, yeah. on the show about the, the problem in the US. So the US sits at 5.2% um, as far as the rate of misuse of prescription opioids. And it looks like we're heading... Well, no, because we way. were in that 3.5 area um, from oh, right, some so of the statistics that I saw. Mm. And, of course, now we have um, the new system where all the pharmacies are linked. Mm-hmm. And as far as going drug shopping or doctor shopping, uh, prescription it shopping, it flags. Yeah. Uh, and that's through Smart Script, which now doctors are now online. And by February next year, they all have to log into that before they actually write a prescription. At the moment, it's sort of... Uh, it's still voluntary, but many yeah. GPs are certainly adhering to that new system. Which is Some good. of them are still rejecting it, but by February next year, they all have to be on that. So if they're writing the script, uh, it'll be flagged. If somebody takes it mm. at the moment to any pharmacy, they're mm. already on safe script, so yeah. it'll come up flagged. And as we talked to doctor uh, to pharmacist Ali, mm. um, you know, he was surprised that it was... You know, I said to him, is it about 10%? He said, no, probably more like 20%. And wow. these were people that were, you know, had a relationship with him and mm. were regular users of prescription services at his pharmacy. So right. if that's just one pharmacy, it could be, you know, many, many, many people. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I found a, a follow-up article uh, to the article that we discussed last world that you brought up last week David which was um, the death of Callum Brosnan the 19 year old uh, at a music festival in Sydney. He'd now, taken he, 
He was the one that had taken roughly nine MDMA yeah. capsules yeah. or tablets. He was being discussed as part of this ongoing royal commission that's taking place. It's a coronial investigation. Sorry, co- coronial investigation, in yes. In New South in Wales. New South Wales uh, investigating six deaths of people at music festivals uh, between... When was it between? Probably between December from, 2017 yeah. and January of this year. Yeah. Uh, so this article that appeared in the um, Sydney Morning Herald today talks about the death of Joshua Tam, who was 22, uh, and the fact that at this particular festival where there were 11,000 patrons, mm-hmm. there was one GP. Uh, so one GP One GP on-site. to service on-site at the festival to service 11,000 patrons. And the GP, unfortunately, was not um, qualified enough to be able to intubate somebody if they stopped breathing, which means putting a breathing tube down their throat. And to his credit, the, the GP did raise these concerns with um, the emergical me- emergency medical services who were working at the festival and they didn't really seem to be too phased by it, unfortunately. Actually, but don't quote me on it, but I know yeah. that the, the um, festival that uh, young Callum was at... Mm. Um, I believe that there were only two GPs at that and it was right. a, another very large festival. Mm. Um, I did see somewhere in uh, on the news where the actual organiser was present. Um, some of the organisers have been complaining that the new uh, government regulations that uh, the New South Wales government has put in place are prohibitive. But mm. if they're not prohibitive um, and you only need one doctor at a f- music festival that has 11,000 people. Mm. Uh, you know, at least, I suppose, with pill testing, it means that there are people on site that are specially equipped uh, to at least talk to people and, and maybe uh, recommend whether they need to go to uh, hospital or whatever. Uh, was there anything else in that article about uh, Joshua Tam and his tragic death? No, it just sort of then more generally went on to speak about the coronial inquest about the the care provided to the number of people that have died, the number of young people that have died. It's incredibly sad. And, again, the issue of uh, pill testing is raised, not by the coroner who's doing the inquest, but mm-hmm. by one of Joshua Tam's friends um, who said it was uh, stupid not to have pill testing and that if we can save one life, then we've done our job. Um, so, again, it's a situation where this young man's family... Are sort of taking to Facebook to make sure that other young people are aware of the dangers of, the risks, of doing yeah. this, the risks of um, doing it. Apparently, it was a really hot day at the festival. It was in the 40s. He'd been drinking, um, I think he'd drunk up to a litre of vodka and then had this rock, crystal rock of uh, MDMA and then... And then well, yeah, because it's it's a downward spiral of mm. overheating and dehydrating, yeah. and there's a certain point where organs start to fail, uh, shut down, mm. and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. So, look, hopefully, we'll keep on following that inquest and see where it goes to over the coming weeks. And, and if, if your interest comes out of it too, yeah, exactly. Um, hopefully, that will happen at some stage. Uh, look, we hope that you've enjoyed tonight's show, and remind you that if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues. Issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or be on blue on 1300 22 46 36. 
It's important to move away from self-destructive reasoning. Recovery involves breaking the cycle of addiction and removing the trigger of negative thinking to restore us to emotional sobriety. One of the greatest highs in life is feeling good about ourselves. Always remember that none of us are alone in this world and that the first step in recovery is to ask for help. We want our community to be one of hope and look forward to your company next week as we continue to explore addiction on Hooked. Meanwhile, it's goodbye from Paul. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, David. Goodbye. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.